What is it about? Computational communication science. Welcome back to our podcast. What is it about computational communication science? Today we have an episode on how can I get started with CCS, that is computational communication science. My name is Emma Shadomahidi. I'm an assistant professor with a focus on computational communication science at Technische Universität Ilmenau. Hi, my name is Maria Heim. I'm an assistant professor at University of Leipzig, uh, focusing on data journalism and computational communication research. Today we want to get started with computational communication science, with CCS, because CCS comes with lots and lots of challenges and it seems a huge barrier to just delve into it. So the question remains, how can we get started? And for this to be answered, we have a guest today with us. Valerie Hase is with us. Valerie Hase is a research and a teaching assistant at the Department of Communication and Media Research at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And she got uh, started with uh, CCS as a PhD herself and has just recently founded a computational methods working group at the University of Zurich to help others get started with CCS. Hi, Valerie. Hi, it's really nice to be on the podcast. Thank you for introducing me, Emesha and Mario. And welcome to the listeners as well. I'm looking forward. Welcome, Valerie. So we are really excited that you join us today. And we wanted to start to discuss which skills we actually need for CCS? <laughs> I think there's probably a lot that you need, um, which may be the struggle for a lot of people wanting to start in this field. Um, I think from my personal perspective, it's kind of openness to interdisciplinarity. So maybe statistics or programming skills, um, and then obviously interest in programming and learning how to program. Um, I think that goes along with frustration tolerance and yeah, trying to solve problems that may take quite a while. Frustration tolerance seems or sounds very depressing in a way, but I think it's um, if, if you want to draw parallels, you could probably draw some parallels to getting started with statistics. It's uh, something that seems uh, like this huge thing that you want to tackle. And if you start doing it step by step, it you, you get a lot of reward. You get a lot of instant reward. I think that helps a lot in in progressing step by step. Also, statistics is something that is probably a, a skill worthwhile having when trying to get started with CCS. And then I would argue that it gets even more complicated. We are communication scientists, so of course we need as well a deep knowledge and a fundamental knowledge in communication science concepts and theory. And this seems a lot if we are honest about it. So it seems a little bit as we Uh, CCS researchers or, or students delving into CCS need somehow to know everything. A broad literacy in, in communication and computational and statistics and everything else around it is probably the best description of, of what is needed. That's, uh, that's true. But probably not everybody has to know everything. Uh, Valerie, what is your experience in that regard? 
Yeah, I would I would totally agree because what you guys described sounds like three master degrees or three PhDs and ones, and that <laughs> is certainly not something people absolutely yeah <laughs> have to do. I think it's important to kind of find your niche. Maybe that you're a little bit of a better programmer, or maybe you're more interested in a specific method, and then just focus on that and do the other things as well, but with less of a focus. So you don't have to do everything. Um, find your niche and then do the rest a little bit less. So maybe what we need is a general overview. So be aware of uh, theoretical concepts, be aware of coding, of statistics, and then a specialization in one of the fields with respect to communication science for our case. But that still sounds like a lot to get started with. If, if you don't know the broadness of the field, how can you dig into deeper into a certain specialized area into your niche how do you find your niche my experience with students and and scholars young scholars in that regard is they have a very high intrinsic motivation but kind of lack the map the orientation in the field of ccs um, which challenges them heavily in finding their niche I would agree. And I think that's that's even something that we as people teaching at the university has have ourselves. I mean, we're all of us are interested, um, but the field is emerging so rapidly and they don't even know where to start and what to teach people as well. So I think we have to orient ourselves as well. Um, and also, there are so many tutorials and handbooks and stuff out there um, that that can be quite a challenge, I think, for people wanting to start in the field. and. I hope this podcast can actually help people orient themselves um, with this regard. You mentioned a very strong intrinsic motivation. What about extrinsic motivation? So how important are computational communication science skills in industry and research at the moment? If you look into job portals online, I think you find a lot of jobs at the intersection of communication science and computer science, but they're not named that way. <laughs> they have fancier job titles, I'd say, probably in the fields of data science. My impression is that both the students, but also the industry are having or facing difficulties in bringing these terms, computational communication science and data science together, that would probably help selling one's self or selling earned skills from the studies to potential future employers. I would agree. My And my hope would also be that there are kind of, or that there will be more jobs kind of in the middle way between being a communication scientist and a programmer, because obviously our students don't want to be hardcore data scientists, oftentimes at least. But then there's data journalism or there's market research where it may be super important to know how to clean data. And I think, you know, if there would be, uh, if we our students would be more aware of that, um, then they would see a broader area of jobs that they may actually qualify for very well. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I feel like bringing up data journalism would have been my <laughs> job. <laughs> I was actually waiting for it. <laughs> uh, my, my impression is that uh, students might not be aware of this at the beginning, but then if they delve into the field and, and do computational or social science or data science projects, 
they kind of open to this possibility that this could be as well their future work. And I have some examples of students, at least, uh, who did uh, some seminars with me or their thesis with me, that they later on actually started to work in this kind of jobs. So be it for marketing or PR, but with a data science focus. And this is really interesting, right? And um, maybe encouraging for people who are interested uh, in this method. So I think that these skills are very valued in the industry but they're not sold uh, at the universities right now aren't they are they, they, they currently our, our master programs for example they aim at future journalists at future communication jobs but they do not necessarily aim at future data uh, scientists or other parts in uh, other jobs in in fields that require these skills and i think we could do we as universities could do a better job in, in, in helping students sell their skills that they undoubtedly get from these studies to future uh, employers. And also, I think we could also position ourselves better as future employers ourselves, meaning we should probably or could at least motivate students in communication, communication science to um, get into research at some point. I would agree, though. I think or what you said before is, I mean, many of these jobs may offer better perspectives for students as well. I mean, we all know that PR journalism, those aren't the jobs that sell super well. They're not stable oftentimes or they have like limited contracts. And I would actually think it would be good for students to know that there are other other areas out there that maybe maybe better paid or, you know, yeah, offer better conditions. And then again, we have to compete as universities with keeping good students. And, you know, we don't want everyone to go to Silicon Valley and just be great data scientists, but maybe keep them at university if they if they want to do research in this field. And there are good selling points to stay at the university rather than going into the industry, although the industry pays better. I mean, you, you, you work on questions that are very, um, well, groundbreaking, is that a word? You work on questions that are very decisive for future developments. You work, you have the freedom to decide over which questions you want to um, dig into, which questions you want to tackle. I would agree. And I also and think, sorry, Emesh. <laughs> I just was going to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to say one sentence so, and then yeah. hand it over. I was just going to follow up and say, um, I think there's also a lot of downturns in working in the industry that you may have to do a lot of data cleaning, but not really analysis or think about your own projects. And I think that's a strong selling point, although we are, I guess, all biased working <laughs> at the university. Sorry, Amesha. I think we can agree on, on, the, on the point that uh, the skills are actually useful to have, whether students want to work in the industry or come to research. But then we often see that uh, junior researchers or students are kind of social scientific and a bit afraid of starting with statistics and programming. So they may, might avoid courses uh, if the outline is too computational or they think it is. So the question is, how can we help them as well to, to get interested in CCS skills and where should they start in the beginning? So how did you start actually with computational communication science? Um, so I did a master's in Münster. And so I had the basic SPSS experience basically. And then I thought, okay, I want to do more methodology. I went to LSE and did another master as, um, as you already said in social research methods. 
But I managed to kind of be there the only year where Ken Benoit wasn't there. And he's actually, you might have talked about him already, the developer of many packages in this field. Um, so then I knew more about methodology, but still only Starter, no R, no Python. And then I went to Zurich for my PhD. And there was a great conference called, I think, Computational Communication Science in Hanover. And I went there and I was hooked and then I just self-taught myself everything. And that's really not the, what I would recommend to others because that takes a lot of time. If you have courses at the university, go there, take them as an undergrad. That's my story. How, how about you? <laughs> well, my, my story is similar. It all started because in my group when I was starting my PhD at the University of Hohenheim, there were some researchers already using R, for example, Michael Scharko. And so I knew that there is a, a software called R that exists and there is Python. So I knew it. And then there was a project that was about network analysis. And then it was difficult uh, to use uh, other programs, <clears throat> at least in a reproducible way. So that's how I started with R. And I was not too amused about it. I, I found that it is uh, quite complicated. Yeah, th that was it for a couple of years. And then uh, I followed up on this experience in self-study as well. And I think it was not really systematic and it was a little bit difficult. But then, of course, with more experience and more projects you do, it gets easier uh, each time and more rewarding each time. So that was how I did it. And I had some online courses, so I had some online materials and courses, for example, in Coursera that I tried out as well. My entrance was, I think, rather different. I did undergo vocational training in information technology before entering university. Um, I was planning on another job route early on. Um, but then I entered university and studied communication science because I wanted to understand people rather than technology. And when I studied communication science, I found that the two, social science, understanding people and, and technology, information technology, actually go very well together. So I already built on tech skills. I already was capable of coding at the time. What helped me apply that to communication science to get started with CCS then was to experiment a lot, was to play around, was to try out, see whether I can automate this, see whether I can scrape that and find out whether the results that I came up with actually hold up with established communication science standards. I did my PhD in uh, Munich and there, well, in Munich there's a heavy or a strong quantitative culture embedded in the, in the department, but there wasn't so much computational research going on. So I did a lot of this experimentation on my own or in collaboration with others who didn't have the computational skills, but rather brought the, a strong social scientific perspective to, to the table. Very different. So we see already, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see that there are different pathways, right, to computational communication science. Now, Valerie, you are in this, um, yeah, so you are very active in uh, helping um, young scholars to start with computational communication science. So for me, the question is as well, if there are no courses at the university or not sufficient uh, seminars, for example, to visit, where should they start, actually? I think personally, what helped me most is go on the Internet, basically. So there are a lot of tutorials that you can that you can check out. For example, Cornelius Pushman has a great tutorial on 
um, uh, doing automated content analysis, Mario as well, I think, doing a bit of promotion here. And obviously there are like larger courses on um, doing coding more generally, for example, the Code Academy or Coursera, and you can even get certificates. So if you're interested, you can even put that on your CV. So that really helped me. Um, I think another thing to do is connect with the people who do these kind of things. And you can do that, of course, in conferences, but also um, summer schools, for example. So I know, for example, there's a summer school in Essex or one in Amsterdam, the digital methods one every year. Of course, some of them are quite pricey, so maybe consider the free option. Um, but that's great because then you can talk to people who have very similar problems and struggles. Well, for me, the learning things in an autodidactive way, learning things on your own through tutorials online is great if your intrinsic motivation is very strong. Um, and I think for coding particularly, that's also a way to go. But starting in summer schools, starting in somehow open related courses at university, even if they are not necessarily communication science courses, is something that probably helps you get a better overview of the field. And I would just recommend not only learning on your own through, for example, Coursera, but also to go and find a way to participate in, for example, the summer schools or go and visit a course that helps you get started in, even if, if, in, if it's only in one particular subfield of computational communication science, not necessarily in the whole field. So if you, if you have a course, if there is a course on uh, automated text analysis or, or on automated content analysis, for example, on tracking data, go visit that, do that, see whether this is an approach, a way of thinking that you like, that you enjoy, and want to know more about. Yeah, and of course, it's super important that you connect to people as well active in the field or learning in the field, because it helps a lot if you can uh, exchange with someone about your problems, the challenges, the success you have. But there is something else. I need to confess that I, from time to time, really like to read a book, right? So I really like to have a concise book on a topic. For example, um, I enjoyed very much uh, R for Data Science from Wickham and Grohlemund. So I really liked reading it and absolutely recommend it to my students because it helps a lot to understand a specific framework. It's, it's, a, it's a book that is very much geared toward the technical perspective. It helps you get started uh, technologically. It doesn't introduce social science as the framework, in a sense. There is uh, another book, a very recent book by uh, Otto von Attefeld, David Trilling and Carlos Aquila on computational analysis of communication that looks into the analysis or analytic part of communication data uh, that's more geared towards communication science. And I'm sure, and I also know of several projects in the making, so I think there is more literature to come also focused on students in earlier phases of their careers, master students, for example. For example, so there is more to come for those who want to read a book in print or PDF form. An additional way to connect to the community, of course, all of these like forums and um, data sources. So for example, if you, you just, should just have a project and then try to write your some data or code yourself, because then you're going to more or less always encounter problems and then you can go to stack overflow for example and see what other people do on this topic and how how they discuss it how you can post questions there for example and write reproducible examples so if you have a problem post a question in a way other can answer it 
or what I do it's kind of um, <laughs> it's kind of uh, checking out stars I like to go to github and just see what people post there it's like Facebook for computational communication scientists <laughs> just track other people I mean they may be a bit specific but it's really helpful as well and it helps you learn also a lot about your own style of well now we're talking mostly about coding computational communication science is more about is more is more than only about coding but in in the context of coding observing others code for example on github is also something that helps you getting an understanding of how others approach a problem getting an understanding of how to write more readable code more digestible code more reusable code how to document probably um, because not all the examples that you find on github are good examples but i believe you learn from both good and bad uh, examples in, in that regard. I, I think we talk about coding so much here because this is the new part very often for communication scientists. So that's why it seems so challenging and so frustrating in the beginning. So for me, for example, this um, visiting Stack Overflow on GitHub was really important. And, and the most important thing was when I understood that I need to learn to help myself, right? To write the reproducible examples, to learn how to test and, and review code and uh, how I can use search engines to to Google for error messages. Um, and, and this kind of changed everything because then I didn't feel anymore like, I just don't understand what is not working. So this is a huge problem and something is not working. I'm totally lost. It was more like, yeah, this specific point is not working and I just need to find out what I did wrong here. And I think that's where, for example, summer schools come in very handy because in a lot of these online tutorials, you learn the basics of code, you learn examples, you learn what are variable types and stuff like that, but you don't necessarily learn how to debug your own failure, your own errors. You get an error in, in the console, be it in R or in Python or wherever, wherever. Now what to do next? And in collaborating, for example, in summer schools, you, you have experts next to you that tell you, well, you can you can enter debug mode. You can go through your script line by line, execute it line by line and see where uh, which variable takes what value, how that affects other parts of the programs. So help learning to help yourself, as, as you just said, Emesha, uh, so, sounds, even sounds like a, like a Montessori approach. Help <laughs> me to do it myself is, I think, a very good way to move forward in learning how to code and how to proceed in this kind of thinking that is so essential to CCS. And uh, given that you've mentioned summer school and these all of these networking types of events, I think at points after you've written your code for five hours or something and it still doesn't work, <laughs> it's really good. Like leave your computer and go somewhere, talk to people who do the same stuff. Um, because as I said, they all have the same problems and you're not the only one being frustrated maybe. Um, so, for example, just an example from Zurich, um, here we don't have a, a computational communication science professorship or division, so there is not one person you can go to. So, um, for example, here we build up networking groups to help each other with exactly these problems. So we have a computational methods working group. And if you, for example, we organize workshops if there's a method that we do want to learn, for example, image analysis now. Um, and I think these initiatives are really good. And they also exist in a lot of other universities as well. In Amsterdam, for example, in the ICA, so the International Communication Association, there is a computational methods working group. And also there, the young scholars are trying to connect with each other via Slack, for example. And that's just really good because you can chat about stuff other than code from, from time to time. 
and they are very they have very low entrance barriers so if you're listening as a master students for example you don't have to worry not to get into these groups these groups exist on all levels of, of academic qualification and these groups are very open very welcoming and very international and diverse I would agree. Just as a small point, we have some group uh, people in our group who've never done computational methods, who've maybe only opened R. And then they are always like, oh, God, what am I doing here? I'm a fraud. I don't know how this stuff works. But this is how we all feel, just at different levels. Like none of us have mastered CCS. So I think it's good to reflect on that in a group um, that we're all at different stages. And yeah, we're just trying to, to get somewhere <laughs> to the next level, basically. Valerie, I happen to know that you're part also of an initiative, or at least of the outcome of the initiative, for, for people to get started, get to connect with, with others, not by directly attending a summer school, but probably just by chatting with others. Can you tell us more about that? So I'm part of the initiative is basically what I mentioned before, the ICA group. Um, they, for example, set up a Slack channel. Um, and you can just join there. You can just observe what others talk about. They post, for example, conferences or job alerts or, you know, even problems with code that me, people might have. Um, so that's really good. And I know that there's also other initiatives, for example, by political scientists who also founded a Texas Data Slack channel. So if anyone's interested, feel free. Uh, we'll likely provide you with some information on that. Um, yeah, and there you can just, um, yeah, observe or maybe even interact with other people. And then, of course, there are these conferences where you can go as well. So, for example, uh, the IC2S2. And now I'm hoping I remember what the abbreviation stands for. I think International Communi Computational Social Science Conference or something. Um, there's also a Texas Data Conference, Network End Conference. You can go there. You don't have to pre present. So Quick, quick anecdote. I remember my first IC2S2 and I was so scared because I had to present a poster and I felt like it was really bad compared to any, any other presentation there. But in the end, it really helped because I connected to people from the field. And um, yeah, then I felt less as an outsider afterwards. So just go would be my recommendation. And I'm sure it wasn't bad. Nah, I still <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think as well, this is really great. So we, one can go to disciplinary conferences like ICA that is focused on communication science and then interdisciplinary conferences that are very interesting. I personally like IC2S2 very much as well because I feel we can meet uh, so many different people and different perspectives and then as well see the problems and ch or challenges that others have, right? So um, how how computer scientists deal with certain problems, for example, that helped me a lot. They are so approachable there and so nice and open, as you already said, uh, Mario. So it is really easy to get in touch. And then to, to stay up to date, I mean, the conference is currently during, during the pandemic, they're hard to attend, but also um, in non-pandemic times, they're once a year, maybe uh, only once every other year. So to keep up to date in between there are lots of mailing lists you can you can join there are lots of information materials coming from these groups associations working groups and also from the journals the ICA has a division that is called computational methods that has a a mailing list they also have a twitter channel there is a similar thing for the german ICA in a way dg puck which also has a method section or division. And from there you can get information. And there are several others around the world in that regard. 
So beside mailing list, of course, there are specialized journals. We already uh, mentioned computational communication research for communication science. Of course, there are inter interesting interdisciplinary journals and as well communication methods and measures that is focused on different methods, but as well has super interesting uh, articles on computational communication science. Now, these mailing lists and journals, of course, they also aim at other levels of qualification in the academic process. And with that, I'm thinking about how can we probably also as, as teachers, as more established scholars, help young up-and-coming scholars on students get started and interested in, in CCS? Is there something we can probably also do to help undergrads get started? Valerie, do you have any experience and, su and su suggestions on that? You probably have more, but yeah, I, I, I taught a course in automated content analysis and that was quite an experience, I would say, in pandemic <laughs> times. But the two, yeah, <laughs> the two key, ways, uh, key takeaways that I had from that was one that um, it's really important to tell students that this is a process, that we all struggle with it and that it's completely normal to be frustrated at times because you don't know the solution yet. So I think that's important on the one side. And then on the other side, I think if we teach these courses, it's good for students to work in groups um, because they can talk to each other, they can figure out solutions together maybe, or just see that others struggle with these things as well. But what's really great for me is to make it easy in the beginning and, and motivating, for example, uh, to allow students to set up things easily. So we have, for example, uh, our studio servers that we could uh, install for us at Or at, in my course, it was a Jupyter server we did set up beforehand, especially in pandemic times. So we, uh, our students did not need to install uh, Anaconda, for example, in the beginning and in the laptop. So there, there are some um, struggles they can avoid. And this is really great because it, it helps to have an easy access in the beginning. And then later on, when you already know a little bit something, then you can start with this uh, maybe time-consuming uh, installations and so on. Then, of course, a good structure often helps as well. This relates to what you said, Valerie, right? So a good structure in our course and then to see, okay, it's a process and this builds up on something and maybe in the beginning it's not too hard. I have made the experience that students, just also as Valerie said before, sometimes kind of are afraid of terms in the realm of computational. And I think to take away that fear, if it is an actual fear, is something that is very helpful in the beginning. Um, I tried to do that, for example, by starting, well, as, as Amesha said, very quickly, having set up our studio on a server just to get started right away, um, trying to help students debug their own code, understand it, maybe program in pairs in the beginning to think two brains thinking about the same code and also to start by replicating others work that could be studies but that could also be for example data journalistic preparations in, during pandemic times of course you can just try to visualize and prepare numbers of for example vaccinations um, in a global comparative line chart or something alike so that helps you to learn by doing it but it also helps you kind of following that psychological social learning approach where you follow others failure but also others <laughs> success in advancing yourself and then maybe speaking of failures 
making students understand that there are always different solutions to, to a problem and having some creativity in the process. Because oftentimes students, or in my seminar, they were like, oh, I, I had another solution. Is this wrong? And, and of course, there are different ways of approaching these problems. You have to find your own way. And I think that's good understanding coding as a creative process as well. And um, yeah, kind of might, might kind of minimize the failure moment uh, that we all have from time to time. And probably also lower expectations in the way that not every master student in the course needs to master all the CCS skills that are out there. Find your field of interest, find your niche, pick your niche, and then try to succeed in that is, I think, also a very rewarding way of thinking about it. You don't need to be able to work with scraping and tracking data and automated content analysis. Pick yours and, and probably master topic modeling. Lastly, we should, of course, help students to understand and um, yeah, feel that computational communication science skills are a very great takeaway from such courses, right? That um, the communication scientists have here a USP, which is the social science perspective focused on communication. And then, of course, with CCS skills, a lot of things are possible, for example, working with new and other types of data, like uh, looking at social media data that seems very interesting for students nowadays and uh, really great if you all of a sudden can download uh, 10,000s of tweets or YouTube comments and so on. So this really helps us to get insights. And of course, it could as well be a practical skill that they could take away, for example, for the future jobs, as we already discussed in the beginning. And that's probably a takeaway that is also trying to make it easier also for lecturers and, and scholars that are teaching out there to think about it. Also, the lecturers and, and scholars and we as, as teachers, we, we don't have all the skills relevant to CCS probably ready at hand. So we can also pick our niche and convey that in a, in a seminar, for example, focusing on one aspect rather than everything else. Generally, CCS is very growing, very much growing and very diverse. And fragmentation, I guess, is a natural process in this process. <laughs> I guess so. And we can learn from our students as well. So um, I, I find uh, that some students uh, develop surprisingly great skills. And then maybe focus on a on a yeah on a topic that or on a social media I have never looked at. So that's how I first became interested in YouTube, was uh, via a seminar basically because students told me, oh no, this is relevant. This is what we should look at. Twitter, no, really not. We are not interested in Twitter. And I was like, okay, yeah, you are maybe right. A lot is going on on YouTube. I mean, this is already a couple of years ago, but uh, that was really interesting for me. <laughs> So maybe another motto would be not only to help us learn from ourselves, but also let students help us, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, let, <laughs> the, let them shine with computational methods. <laughs> Great. So I think we, we got that covered. <laughs> you, you have all the, the knowledge necessary to, to get started with CCS. <laughs> Anything else to add? Sounds great. And uh, yeah, I hope people will be inspired by the podcast and now go visit all of these network and tutorial sites. Thank you, Valerie, for being here with us today. It was really interesting um, to hear your opinion on the topic. And 
we hope, of course, that um, we can follow up on this someday. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to further uh, listening to the podcast as well. <laughs> Thanks very much. And talking about the podcast, um, as always, we uh, have lists and thoughts of guests about guests and topics, but we're very open to suggestions. So if you have any thoughts about future topics, future guests, let us know, um, share the podcast also, and provide us with feedback. You can reach us, well, you can reach us, uh, email, Twitter, whatever. And um, thanks again to Valerie for joining us. And thank you for listening and see or hear you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 What is it about? Computational communication science?